Today, if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, we are continuing in our study this year of this wonderful gospel. It's amazing what we can glean from this. Um, And I'm also thankful that during the Sunday school hour, I'm, I'm witnessing some really deep dives into the Word. It's amazing to see uh, church people want to come to church and actually dig into the Word of God. Is there something that you glean from this activity? It's, it's a wonderful time each Sunday to worship, to gather together, to hear from God Himself through His Word. And so today is uh, nothing uh, different. Matthew chapter 6, we are beginning in verse 19. We'll read through verse 21. And so if you're able to stand, let's do so in reverence for the reading of His Word. This is Jesus continuing to teach in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Oh, dear God, we praise you for your word, and we just are grateful for the privilege to be here as your people. We began the week, as you have instructed us to do, together in worship, together in song, but also together listening to you speak to us in your word. And so right now, Lord, as we, 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 under, we try to uncover some truth here in the words of your Son, Jesus Christ, please speak to us directly. I pray, God, that you would use this time to show each and every one of us where we stand before you. What is our treasure? Do we treasure your Son above all things? Do we treasure your ways above all things? Where is it, dear God, that we fall short of this because we all do? Lord, so many times we substitute your grace with other material things, other material comforts. And so, Lord, those things are temporary at best. But, Lord, your love and your grace is eternal. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that truth. And I pray, God, you'd speak to, your, speak to us directly from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. We come here to another example of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and it shifts our focus away from ourselves. Have you noticed this trend throughout chapters 5 and 6 so far? This Sermon on the Mount of Jesus, he's reminding everyone who's listening to these words that their focus is no longer on themselves, but their focus is on something else, an eternal kingdom of heaven established by the Son. And so here we come again to another example in the sermon that shifts our focus away from ourselves and onto this kingdom of heaven. More specifically, I think the focus is to be on Christ alone. As Jesus is teaching here through this sermon, he always continually points back to himself. Salvation is through me alone, and that's the only way into this kingdom of heaven. Amen? The focus is to be on Christ He alone can save our souls, and this is the primary means by which we enter into this kingdom as citizens. How do we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven? How do we 
become Christians, it is primarily 100% singly focused on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Period. Amen? So let us remember that all these points in the sixth chapter that we've looked to, from giving to the needy uh, to the Lord's Prayer that we studied so intently over the last several weeks, even last week about fasting, um, that was an interesting study. It was one of the quietest sermons I've ever heard as I was preaching. It was difficult to understand fasting. And so now this idea of fasting is segueing into this idea of laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus is teaching us to shift our focus away from our physical comforts, away from our material wealth, and onto the kingdom. This is an example here that Jesus is reminding us. That's one thing I also want to bring us back to is as we're going through chapter 6, if you're taking notes, every point that Jesus makes in this, this section of the sermon points back to the first verse of chapter 6. So if you're questioning what does this mean, look back at verse 1. He introduces what he means here in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Our focus today, I think, is in in the verses here, 19 through 21, echo verse 1. And that's what we need to pay attention to today. Because our Lord reminds us in this illustration that it's a warning. He's warning us against our self-centered focus on our own righteousness. He's continuing this idea. Here in verses 19 through 20, here's what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves, what? Treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But what? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. As we listen to the God's voice here, I mean, this is God speaking through His Son. Ponder this. We are reading these words, listening to them being spoken. This is God speaking. His Son, Jesus Christ, spoke these words. They are here for us to hear. And so the focus is not on ourselves or even our own efforts. Because I mean, many people will want to come into the kingdom of heaven under their own power. And Jesus is warning very clearly here, you want to be a part of my kingdom? You want to be part of the kingdom of heaven? You cannot obtain this citizenship on your own. But rather, he wants us to focus instead to hear his words and to hear that there's a reward that we are given as a gift from the Father in heaven. And these are treasures that only can be found in one place, these treasures from heaven. Amen? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he's contrasting here very clearly treasures of earth versus treasures of heaven. And Jesus is making it very obvious that what is more valuable is that which is laid up in heaven and not here on this earth. And he illustrates, I think, very clearly the outcome of our earthly treasure versus the outcome of heavenly treasure. In other words, if you want to know what the difference is between earthly treasure and heavenly treasure, look at the end of it. Look at the outcome of it. What happens to all the stuff that we're going to get at Christmas this year? Or all the other Christmases and birthdays and everything else, all the souvenirs from, um, even even the souvenirs from all our vacations and all our stuff, things that people give us. What happens to all that stuff? versus 
what happens to the treasures laid up in heaven. I've often heard it said, and I've actually experienced this many times myself and our family, uh, that no one truly knows how much stuff they own until it's time to move. Amen? Anybody here had to move before? (laughs) You never know how much stuff you got until it's time to move. And then you realize you have more stuff than you have room in the truck. That's the end of all the treasures of earth that we lay up for ourselves. We have no more room for it. We have no idea how to deal with it. So if you've ever had to move from one house or one town to another, the process of moving is overwhelming. Been there, done that. And trying to calculate what size truck or even number of trucks. You may have had a situation where you've had to have more than one truck or more than one truckload. If you're, if you're a man with a pickup truck, you're everybody's best friend when it comes time to move, right? How many pickup trucks does it take to move the stuff? But it's overwhelming in trying to calculate all this, trying to figure out what will it take to hold all of this household stuff and actually move it to another place. Just as we got to consider our, our future location of our like if you're moving, you've got to consider where you're going to. You've got to consider the house you're going to. You've got to consider the end of the journey. And what's it going to take to transport the stuff there? Our treasure, if you will. Because we all have treasures. Stuff we can't get rid of, we can't let go of. Sentimentality tied to stuff. But when we have to go somewhere with it, now we have to start analyzing the value of it. I think when we think about our treasure, I think Jesus is showing us in this passage that it's imperative, that it's important, that it's it, it, we must, that the citizen of the kingdom of heaven must calculate and consider our eternal home of heaven. When we look here in this text, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Jesus is calling the citizen of the kingdom to focus on the the end of the journey. Where are we headed? Treasures of heaven. Remember, Jesus here, I think, is pointing out that the Christian has another focus, and that concerns our home. Not this earthly home that is temporary and falls apart, but our eternal home that is eternal and perfect and glorious and amazing, right? How does that affect our treasures that we're accumulating now? In other words, where are we going to move it to? So remember that verse 1 of chapter 6 points us to the rewards of our Father in heaven. Because Let's go back in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When we're laying up our treasures... What's the reward? Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. The emphasis here of Jesus' words, I think this, when we look here at verse 19, this is a judgment, it's also a warning. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus here is speaking to many people in the crowds, but I think He's also pointing out very clearly, and we've seen this before in, verse, in chapters 5 and into chapter 6 of Matthew, he's also warning the religious elite. Remember, because when it began here in, in the first 
couple of verses of chapter 6, that's who he's addressing. He's addressing the religious elite who are performing religion. And so here in verse 19, the same idea. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is directly sent to the religious elite. The warning continues because apparently a failure of the religious elite could also be seen in their desire and focus to obtain not only status in the community, but also they accumulated a lot of wealth as a byproduct of their status. In other words, if one's focus is on elevating your position in a society, then one's emphasis will also be in elevating one's personal treasure. Part of it, do you agree that when we look at our neighbors, we can covet their position through their possessions? Oh boy, they got a brand new car. Well, I wish I had a brand new car. Boy, look at that big house. Wasn't that nice? Boy, I wish I could live there. Or even their possessions of their treasure of, of their beautiful children. When they go out in public, their family is perfect. Oh, I wish my family was like that. But what's it like at home? Everything that we possess, everything that we own, this treasure that we accumulate, is it something we're laying up for ourselves, these treasures of earth? It's a judgment. Jesus gives warning here that one's actions reveal their true heart. Look here, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And if you drop down to verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's dealing here that that your treasure, those material things that you hold the most here. In other words, treasure are those things that you value the most. It could be material things. It could also be a a position or a, a status. It could be a lot of different things. Your treasure is what you value the highest. And that comes directly from the heart. In order to be a true citizen of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is telling us here that one's heart will be focused on the kingdom, not the earth. If you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom, then your heart focus is on that alone, the kingdom, and not the earth. I think Jesus also helps us understand this a little bit deeper in Luke chapter 12. If you can flip over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. He really drives this point home in a parable. We're not going to read the whole parable, but I would encourage you that if, if you have time to go back and look at it, verse, uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, it's a, long, it's, a, it's a good parable about storing up things in barns, the rich fool. Luke 12, beginning in verse 8, though. Let's look here at verse 8. Luke 12, verse 8, leads into what he teaches next. Luke 12, verses 8 through 9 shows us that the criteria for judgment is actually relationship to Jesus. So the outcome of judgment is expressed in our relationship or our communion with with Christ or to God our Father. Luke chapter 12, verse 8. Here's the words of Jesus. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Acknowledging Christ here is the point. You acknowledge 
your heart. And so if you are challenged, if you, if you acknowledge Christ before men, then Jesus will acknowledge you before God. The criteria for entering into, the citizen, into citizenship, in other words, the criteria for entering into the kingdom, is devotion and embrace, acknowledging, but you, you fully embrace with your very being Jesus Christ himself alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing added to, nothing diverting from. It'll involve acceptance into the fellowship of God. God will re- accept you into his fellowship. He will accept you into communion with him, or God will reject you from that fellowship. He'll reject you from that communion. And what is the judgment? The heart. If your heart is sincere, then, jo- then God's going to welcome you with open arms. If your heart is not sincere, he's going to know the heart, and he's going to say, ah, you don't love me. Amen. Those who are not known by God now or do not know God themselves will not know God then when they come into the eternal judgment. So when they enter into eternal life, they either know God because they know Him now, and if they don't know God now, they're not going to know Him then. And when they get there, God's going to say, I never knew you. Your treasure was something else. Your treasure was not me. Your treasure was not my kingdom. So those who do know God the Father, who are they? Who who knows God the Father? They're the ones who are genuine in their obedience. They're genuine in their communion with Him, their relationship with Him, because God knows the heart. The genuine heart is the focus here. That's what Jesus is trying to, folk, to get us to see here in Matthew chapter 6. Now, if you, you won't have to read it all, but it, chapters 12 and 13 of Luke's gospel, and even Matthew chapter 25, they contain parables that Jesus teaches that shows the outcome or the consequences of the judgment. And it's expressed in terms of coming into God's presence or departing from God's presence. All of those parables have the same lesson. And much of the gospel truth here revealed in those parables reveals that our destinies are not rewards or punishment imposed from the outside, but actually the rewards and punishments, the outcome of these rewards are tied directly to the outcome of our choices that people determine for themselves. Now, God has a sovereignty that convicts the will and calls us to repentance. The Holy Spirit draws us, illuminates within us the need for salvation. But if we reject that, if we ignore that, what is our heart saying? What is our treasure revealing? The image of treasure that Jesus is using in Matthew chapter 6. This treasure in heaven, it paints the picture of people's destinies, the end result of their desires. What is it that you treasure? That's what you desire. What is it that you desire? That's what you love. That's what you hoard. That's what you accumulate. That's what you embrace. So those hearts 
that are focused on submitting to God's rule will gain riches in heaven. They will gain the treasures of heaven, those riches of his kingdom. Amen? But those whose hearts are focused on their own righteousness, remember Matthew chapter 6, verse 1? If you practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, there is no reward. There is no eternal treasure. You've already got your treasure, and that's the treasure of this earth. You've received the praise of other men. That's all you wanted anyway. And so that's what you're collecting. So what are the treasures of earth? that Jesus speaks about here in Matthew 6, verse 19. He tells us, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because they're going to be destroyed by moths or rust. They'll rot, they'll decay. What are the treasures on earth that decay through rust and moths? Now, not, we don't really have much trouble with moths anymore, but how many people have, have ever had moths eat up your clothes? It does happen. And uh, what is the favorite... Uh, what is the favorite textile that a moth loves to eat? It's actually wool. They love wool. They'll they'll consume it like it's Thanksgiving turkey. It's and so you know, you got to be careful. We don't have that much of an issue anymore with modern houses and uh, exterminations and things like that. But it does happen. So what are the treasures on earth that thieves want to steal? What are treasures on earth that decay and rot? Is it money? Now, money's going digital now, but can digital money disappear? You better believe it can. Money yesterday is not worth as much today. So you accumulate $10 yesterday, you're not going to be able to buy as much with $10 today. Just go to McDonald's. There was a day I could go to McDonald's and have a full meal for $1.50. I'm talking about burger, fries, and a drink. Now, how much does it cost? Ten bucks. Goodness gracious, that's why I don't go to McDonald's. It's crazy. Money. That's temporary. What else? Houses. Houses don't last forever. They fall apart. The, the minute you build one, you got to start fixing it. Amen? <laughs> you got to mow the yard. Keep the flowers up. It's temporary. Cars. Can I embarrass you, Tim? Tim and I have been talking about cars. Cars fall apart, don't they, brother? They get old, don't they? How many of us are driving 30-year-old cars still? No, it's because they break down, they fall apart, they rust. The rubber gaskets in the engines degrade. They don't last. They're not permanent. But boy, is a nice car, is a new car nice? That new car smell, how long does that new car smell last? couple of days. Fine clothes. This is a treasure of earth. How long does fine clothes last? How many of y'all are still wearing your polyester leisure suits from the 1970s? They don't last very long, do they? Antiques. Even though antiques have some value, even value of antiques, old stuff that, that may still survive, it has different values. It goes up and down. It's not going to last forever. Food? How long does food? I mean, treasures of, food, of earth is definitely food. We just, hopefully this last week, everyone here had the, pleas, the pleasure of eating wonderful food. Amen? But boy, how long does that last before you're hungry again? Jewelry. Is jewelry, I mean, that's a treasure. 
Jewelry is one of the greatest treasures of earth. Gold and diamonds and silver and all that. How long does that last? Bass boats. I'm not going to leave. Men got to get, get you in here. Bass boats and trucks and stuff. How long does that stuff last? Video games. How many of us, the treasure, our treasure on earth is to play, or play video games still? Goodness. How long does that last? Man, when I was a kid, we played Pac-Man, but nobody wants to play Pac-Man anymore because it's boring. I don't play video games anymore. You see what? So what are treasures on earth? Treasures on earth are these things, these, these things that we hoard, right? There's a television show on TLC. Is that where it's aired? I, they still broadcast new episodes because there's plenty of, of people to showcase of hoarders. You ever watched any of that? What is that's a sickness we have. We want to we want to keep our stuff, even if it's rotten and decaying. We see it as a treasure. Luke chapter sixteen verse fourteen reminds us that the Pharisees they loved their treasure. Luke chapter sixteen fourteen says that the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, they were described this way, and so Jesus clearly is making a point here. In Matthew 6, don't hoard up your treasures on earth. Don't be lovers of money. He also tells us in Luke chapter 12, verses 18 through 19, if you want to flip back there, as he's talking about this rich fool. Let's begin actually in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, and then we'll drop down. Because this sets the scene. Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus is being called on here to be the judge. Verse 14. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Verse 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes into the parable of the rich man. Here's what he says in verses 18 and 19. And he said, I will do this talking about the rich fool, talking about who's boasting about his treasure, boasting about his wealth. In the parable, it says, I will, do, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And what happened in the parable of the rich fool? It all goes away. Because his life is taken from him. We could spend our entire lives focused on the treasure of hoarding for the purpose of looking at a life of ease. But it's the soul that's going to go on to heaven. And none of this stuff we lay up for ourselves is going to go with us. That's what the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12 tells us. And so Jesus is reminding us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth because they're temporary. They don't satisfy. Now in verse 20, he says, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So we know what treasures on earth are. What are the treasures of heaven? Where are the treasures of heaven that neither moth nor rust destroy? 
And what are these treasures in heaven that thieves cannot steal from us? What are those things? Service to others in the name of Christ, loving and serving the needy, furthering the Lord's work through service, evangelism, pure and undefiled religion. That is the treasure of heaven. James chapter 1, verse 27 reminds us of this stuff. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You want to lay up treasures in heaven? It begins, first of all, by separating ourselves from the world and not being stained or corrupted by it, and then that through the Holy Spirit and Christ's forgiveness of us, changing us and making us new, results in service to the orphans and the widows in their affliction. That is the treasure of heaven that we're laying up. Amen? That's what we lay up. So service in the kingdom is an action. It is a work. And so these treasures of heaven are the result of working. When you get treasure, how do you get treasure? You work for it. Or it's you inherit it. Probably a little bit of both. And in the treasures of heaven, we're inheriting the treasures of heaven. But there's also the service in the kingdom that builds up treasures in heaven as well. But Jesus makes it clear that these works of self-righteousness leads to nothing, but the works in the service that are based in faith are evidence of God's righteousness and Christ in us. And so the result of this faith is the service that builds the kingdom of heaven, a genuine faith from the hearts. So Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. This is the most important verse I think, in this section of of the Sermon on the Mount. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Desire is the foundation of the heart. And so desire is the action from the heart. Whatever we desire, whatever in our heart, that's what comes out in what we do, what we obtain, what we possess. So Jesus is teaching here in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. He's teaching that the proper heart of the citizen of the kingdom, that will produce godly outcomes for the kingdom of heaven. A genuine heart will produce wonderful things in the kingdom of heaven. Since the kingdom of heaven is found in the righteous hearts of the faithful that God himself imparts through his forgiveness and his grace, But I think here in verse 21 of Matthew 6, Jesus is also making it clear that the treasure that one holds closest and most dear will reveal the truth of the heart. You want to know what someone's Christian life is? Look at the treasure that they hold most dear. That will reveal their genuine Christianity or their genuine wickedness. So if the treasures of hoarded material things of the earth that say anything about the heart is that the heart trusts, has faith in the hoarded material of this world. That's idolatry. But if the actions of the heart result in kindness toward others at the expense of ourselves, if the 
Actions of the heart result in genuine sacrifice and service in the name of Christ toward others, not for our own gain, but because Jesus loved me first, I will love you. Wow. Think about the rewards from that. Not going to see it maybe in this earth, but boy, that's an eternal reward of heaven that we will definitely be acknowledged for. Amen? Not that we're doing this on our own. It's the actual outcome of the heart. So this relationship or this communion with God the Father, this is the highest of our treasures. If this is the treasure that we seek, if this is the treasure that we desire, then the treasure that we receive as a reward in heaven is that which only the Father in heaven can give us. That's the treasure. Amen? So where's your treasure? Where's your heart? What's God telling you as you listen to these words, as you read this text? Where is your treasure? Where's your heart? Matthew 6, 21 reveals an important point that I think all Christians have to hear. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But I'm I'm, I'm sad to say that too many in the church today do not understand where their hearts truly lie. Would you agree? Now, clearly Jesus, in speaking about treasure here in this text, is talking about wealth. Money, treasure, possessions. And we could tie this into the idea of tithing. And so, now, tithing is expected of God's people. Now, I'm not going to expound here today on the biblical references on tithing. It is a command, uh, but we don't have time for that today. That's a different sermon. But God's people are expected to share their treasure with God because it's His treasure to begin with. <laughs> Amen. We are called by God to give back a small tithe to Him. Now, some in the church, and I'm going to to make it a little bit more clear, some in this church tithe regularly. And that tithe goes to the work of the gospel. But I'm also going to say that some in this church do not tithe at all. Now, I want to emphasize, I don't know who. I don't keep records. Other people are keeping records. I purposefully stay away from the records. I don't know who gives what by my own design. But I also know all churches are the same. Some tithe regularly. Others don't tithe at all. What does that reveal about the heart? It reveals that the heart is focused on something else, that there are other priorities that are more important than the work of the kingdom. Now, a lot of people will give the excuse and give the reasons that they have debt they have to get out from under. Some have actually come to me privately one-on-one. I'm going to say more than one person in this church have come to me privately hurt that they cannot tithe regularly, and they confess, we have debt we're trying to get out from under. Now, when I say that, that's, that's not a condemnation of anybody. It's a symptom of our American culture. We live on credit cards. We live beyond our means. And that is directly affecting the kingdom of heaven being established here. But here's what I would argue. 
that Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 12 and also Luke 21 that there was a widow who walked up to the offering pot in the temple and gave a small coin. But it was all she had. And she gave more than the richest Pharisees who were standing there judging her. So if a widow can be acknowledged in the Gospels by Jesus Christ Himself for sacrificing and giving all she had, even though it was the smallest amount. Literally, in our money, it would be a penny. But she gave to her Lord, her God, her Savior. My argument is in the 21st century American church, the excuse of debt and the excuse of I don't have money or the excuse of I don't make much money, yes, I admit, working a low-wage job is hard. I've been there. Still am. But we give back to our Father in heaven out of our heart. Our heart reveals our priorities. Our heart reveals who we love, what we love. The widow who gave out of her poverty showed the evidence of her heart, and Jesus praised her for it. And here's what I would close with this. Our checking accounts and our credit card statements, they reveal where our hearts are truly centered. You can't give to the Lord because you've got to pay off your debts each month and still not get paid off then that shows where our hearts are. I would also say that our choice of schedules, whether we feel good enough to attend worship, reveals our hearts where they're truly centered. Now, I get it. Work happens. People have work schedules. That's the life and and that's the culture way. People have to work on Sundays. People have to work on Wednesdays. I don't condemn anyone who's having to work to pay bills and take care of their family. I don't condemn them at all. But I, I do caution those who choose other things besides coming to worship and being with God's people. I'd also say that our media viewing habits also reveals where our hearts are truly centered. How much time do we spend on the internet, on our phones, on social media, watching Netflix, compared to the time we spend with one another and with our Lord? That reveals where our hearts are truly centered. When you talk to married couples who are in distress, one of the things that comes out pretty quickly is that one or both of the parties have a heart centered on something else other than their family and their spouse. Same thing with the church. Same thing with our communion with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Our hearts reveal our treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my question for us all as we leave here, what is Jesus trying to teach us here? What is it that God is trying to reveal within us, in our hearts? Do we love Him? If we do, is He priority in all of our actions and our budgets and our checkbooks and our time. 
is coming together as God's people, as our Lord commands us to do. Hebrews chapter 10 warns us not to forsake the assembly of the brethren for a reason. Because when God's people come together, that shows our focus and our heart toward one another as God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, knits us together. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father God, we, we praise You for Your Word. Your Son, Jesus Christ, speaks words of wisdom, words of truth. He speaks to us divine wisdom and understanding because we need to hear it. And so God, I pray this morning as, as we have soaked in this truth, this word from you. I pray that each and every person who's hearing this right now, who has heard the reading of your word, who has heard this explained, Lord, dear, I pray, dear God, each and every one of us, including myself, that you would reveal within us what is our treasure. What do we value the most? Our spending habits reveal it. How we spend our time reveals it. Do we focus on your kingdom? Do we focus on your son, Jesus Christ? Dear God, do we focus on our relationship and our communion with you? Or do we substitute that with something else that's temporary and rots and decays? Father, the shiniest new toy doesn't stay shiny and new for long. And I pray, God, that you would forgive us for focusing our treasure on that rather than looking to you as the true treasure. Please change our hearts. Please guide us and direct us. Please call us into your presence. Show us the true beauty that you have and that communion with you is the most precious. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for your grace. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.